everyone has seen the steady stream of soccer practices that take place at almost every park in town. Coaches set up goals, cones, flags, and tote in endless bags of jerseys, balls, and water bottles. But as winter rolls into the valley, so does the famous Bakersfield fog. So prevalent, in fact, that at one time, our hockey team was even named after the thick pea soup phenomenon. It was on such an evening when a youth soccer coach called his practice to an early end. Usually, the fog rolls in in the mornings, calling for fog delays and an extra few minutes in bed. But this evening, as the sun set and the street lights flickered into effect, the field began to fill with a dense and murky gloom. As the lights reflected ominously off the haze, the coach called the practice to a stop. Children trundled off to their parents' cars, praying the fog would last through the night. The coach, however, had quite the job of clearing the field. After the better part of an hour of locating rogue balls, collecting forgotten sweatshirts, and compiling his gear, he was finally sat in his driver's seat, ready to head home. Mentally, he was already halfway there, thinking about his dinner, putting away the laundry, and resting on the sofa with a beer. Yet before he could even turn the key in the ignition, a knock on his window drew him back to his lonely car in the dark parking lot. Startled, the coach looked out the sedan's window to see two hooded children standing next to his car, the fog flowing behind them like a viscous clag. Ordinarily, he would have turned on his car and driven away in a flash. But these were kids maybe his own soccer players. He couldn't see their faces as the hoods were shielding their eyes, but they were the same height as his players, so they couldn't have been more than nine or ten years old. Hey, mister, he heard one of the figures whisper. Slowly, he rolled down his window. Could you give us a ride home? Where are your parents? These were not his players, and suddenly the coach was overcome with an unnerving feeling of dread and fear. Take us home, and you can meet them. Uh, I'd rather call them. What's their number? Just take us home. Come on. Open the door. Let us in. It's cold out here. Kids... It's really late. Where are your adults? Let us in. Open the door. You have to open the door. The children's small white hands gripped the window. They both took a mechanical step forward. And as they did, their hoods fell backwards, revealing ashen faces, stringy black hair, and pitch black eyes. The coach was frozen in fear, and as one of the monster children pulled its twisted thin lips into a grisly smile, revealing razor-sharp teeth. Let us in. You know you want to. With that, the coach turned the key, threw the car into gear, and sped down the street, tires screaming, lights flooding the haze, and sweat pouring down from his face. As he looked into his rearview mirror, Through the mist and broom, 
he could see two childlike creatures holding hands disappear into the fog. Soccer practice was never held at Campus Park ever again. It's Becca. For the past three years, the West London Witch Team have been dedicated to bringing you the best supernatural stories at the highest studio quality. And by team, I mean me and my buddy Danny. We do this work totally for free because we love it. We're proud of our content and appreciate the wonderful interactions we get to have with storytellers and listeners just like yourself. If you're enjoying the West London Witch, maybe consider joining our Patreon. It's a way to further engage with us and show your support for two creatives. If you're in a position to spare enough each month for us to grab a cup of coffee in between edits or add to the piggy bank for a new microphone, we would love to see you in our Patreon community. But I know times are tough. So if you're not in a position to join Patreon right now, that's okay. We aren't going anywhere. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash the West London Witch. For as little as one pound, one dollar, one euro a month, you can gain full access to our coven, a space where we share behind the scenes stories, dive deeper into each episode, answer your questions, and have special little treats to thank you for sharing your love and kindness with your favorite little witch. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of The West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. You may remember our friend Mike Merle from the Paranormal Road Trippers. He was our storyteller in episode 36, The Haunted Dog Collection. Anyone who electively collects haunted objects is bound to be surrounded by interesting people. Which brings us to today's storyteller, Jacob. Mike introduced us and I was thrilled to have Jacob Rice, the host of the Ghostly Activities podcast, come and share with us what he calls boo moments. Jake is a podcaster, paranormal investigator, and documentarian. He is also lucky enough to have experienced a wide range of paranormal activity that he was gracious enough to share with us today. Be prepared to be scared. I'm Rebecca Strazina, and this is The West London Witch, Episode 48, Boo Moments. Hi, 
So I'm Jacob Rice. Please call me Jake. And I've been investigating strangeness and weirdness since 2007 officially. But my first experience with uh, the paranormal or the unknown happened when I was seven years old. And it was the week before Christmas. And to give you a little background, I lived at the time in central Wisconsin. So you can imagine the winter months in a very hilly part of the state. So how it started, the day started off, was your standard winter morning in Wisconsin. So it's about 20 degrees. There's about four inches of snow on the ground. And we got the alert that there was an upcoming blizzard. A blizzard would be coming in. And if you know anything about the Great Lakes region in the upper Midwest, when the storms come, they sit on top of the state. And during the day, you know, those big fluffy flakes started falling and the wind started to pick up. And we lived in a rural part. So if you look on the map, the town is Sauk City, gorgeous little town of about 2,500 people on the Wisconsin River, weaving through different bluffs and cliffs along the river. So you can imagine as the snow fell and the sleet came and the ice built up, the half mile lot long road, my driveway essentially, that went down to uh, County Highway 16, I think it was at the time. It's been a while since I've been there. Uh, It was ice covered. The storm is rolling in, snow steadily drifting to the ground. There are no plows other than Jake's dad's tractor, and this storm will be in place for days, essentially locking the family into the confines of their home. So my mom, packed us into uh, (laughs) the green station wagon with the, you know, wood paneling on the side. And we headed to Piggly Wiggly because we're going to need some supplies and batteries and all that stuff because you never know if you're going to have power. As they journeyed home from collecting provisions, the storm really began to kick into gear. Sleet began to hammer the ground. White gusts howled across the freshly threshed cornfields and the harshness of nature began to come into full focus. As Jake's mom tried to urge the old station wagon up the half-mile driveway, the car began to fishtail and swung into a snowbank. The neighbor, Farmer Halverston, had to pull out the car with his tractor. This was going to be one brutal storm. Jake's mom ushered the kids into the home, and Jake ran upstairs to look out his window. His window looked out to the front of the house and a lone light post. The creepiest thing was out in front of the the front door, and uh, my bedroom was on the second floor and looked out at this oak tree. And it was probably like 20, 30 feet high, All the leaves had been blown off of it by now a long time because we're talking December. And it looked like knobby claws sticking up from the branches. You know, it's a beautiful tree full and lush in the summer. But the creepier thing was we had a half-collapsed well at the foot of it. And my dad had been filling filling it in over the years, but it was probably only half full. So, uh... (laughs) my mom and dad had this troll, uh, you know, they called him Ugalaga that lived in the well and was mainly to keep us away from playing too close to the well. Ugalaga will get you. Um, So that's just some context for you. 
And, but we were ushered inside and my dad was away on business and plus he wouldn't be able to get back with this storm. So it's probably nine at night now. And I told you about Mr. Halverson, the farmer next door. Well, he didn't exactly have the best fences put up in between the properties. And a lot of times his livestock would get out. Not so much the cows, but he had sheep. And during the storm, something happened. Either the barn doors blew open or they were out in the field, but they they came into our yard. So you can imagine it's pitch black, essentially, other than that light outside making this big old halo effect. And you start to see what looks like big old cotton balls coming towards the tree and assembling. So I'm looking out the window at this and I'm like, mom, can we, (laughs) can we like let the sheep in? And she's like, we're not going outside for anything. (laughs) As Jake sat watching the sheep paddle closer together, he realized they were precariously close to the old well. As I watched this, one of the sheep slipped and its legs slipped and it kind of dangled over the well. And this long, fuzzy arm with what looked like a hook came up and pierced it in the hind leg. And so this sheep is now thrashing and rolling around and you can see blood in the snow from this and all the other sheep scatter at this time and and just see you know like it's all an open area we don't have a fence around these sheep are going to be lost and i just see this sheep flipping around on its back and another claw comes up and hooks it so if i had to explain it it kind of looked you know how sloths have the really long arms fuzzy and they have like those hooked uh you know they have claws to hold on to everything and that just like pierced into its leg and its stomach and i just saw it like bleeding, I, I, you know, bleeding that sound they make. And it got yanked into the well. And this, this all happened in like 30 seconds, one minute, and the storm is still going, got the big fluffy flakes and everything. And you could see the red smear on the ground from its blood, but the snow came and started covering it up. And, and that was about it for the night. Two days later, after the storm had subsided, Jake's dad set out to help Mr. Halverston find his lost sheep. And during the storm, they found a lot of them at the end of our, you know, our half mile long driveway in the old field. Some of them had died, frozen to death, uh, mainly the, the little ones and the old ones, but but the, the adult sheep and everything. So we were rounding them up And my dad looked down the well, which, like I said, half full at the time. And it's obvious he could see something. So we thought, okay, it most likely is we were going to get the sheep out of there. Um, You could tell there was something in there. My dad didn't go into details about it, or Mr. Halverson did. But Mr. Halverson comes over, looks. They tied a rope up to the back of the hitch of a tractor so my dad could go down. He was It's probably like a 12-foot drop, I'm guessing, at the time. At the time, you know, it seemed much deeper and darker. <laughs> and so my dad comes back up the well, uh, you know, holding onto the rope and stuff. And he's like, boys, because I have two older brothers, get back in the house. Mr. Halverson looks and he's like, get inside, get inside. 
So, of course, me and my brothers, we go up to my room because we can look over the well. And they pull up the sheep. And it's, it's frozen. But you can obviously see it was gutted. And its back leg was snapped. And, you know, it's that kind of thing because it was cold and frozen. It kind of looked like crystal. Crystals on it. And then they just covered it up and... And they put it in the back of my dad's truck. And that's the last time I had seen it. And I'd never, I never saw anything like it. There was nothing in the well like it. My, but when I came down, after Mr. Halverson had left, I went up to my dad and like I saw what happened. And my dad said, tell me about the monster. Jake doesn't know what he saw, but it wasn't a cougar or a black bear. Neither of those animals have long, lanky arms with hooked claws. And more importantly, neither creature know how to gut an animal. Bears would have been hibernating at that time of the year, and it certainly wasn't a big cat. But this is Wisconsin, and there aren't really any other suspects, other than what Jake's dad called. The monster. So the first story, if, if you need to know, was about 1980. I was, I was seven in 1980. Uh, the next one comes much later. It's 2007, and I'm living in Chicago. So for me, I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, I joined the Army and left, and I never really went back after that. So I went to college in Chicago. And so, I mean, I'm graduated by this time and everything, but I lived in what would have been a luxury hotel back in the 20s and 30s. And they converted it to apartment buildings. So rentals, just to lay the, the land for it. The carpets were this kind of evergreen color with gold and red flowers all over it. With the green, think about a neon overlay that could just have been from age. But though the walls were mint green with big mirrors, gold trim. And if you know those kind of art deco copper imprinting on the ceiling, that's what the lobby looked like. So at the time, I've got my dog, Rhea. Uh, she's a boxer. She'll come in to, she'll, you'll hear about uh, Rhea a little bit later. But for this story, she was still uh, kind of a young pup. But I played a lot of beach volleyball. It's the summer. It's July. Um, mid-July at the time, and I've been playing volleyball all day. It's about 3 p.m., and Jake has been gone too long. He needs to go home and take Rhea out for a walk. He heads towards the majestic gold-trimmed Art Deco doors of the old elevator and calls the elevator to the plush lobby. And it's kind of disappointing when you go in. It's almost like a linoleum floor. You got some <laughs> mirrors, wood paneling inside of it. But you got the old punch buttons on, on it. So I lived on the 12th floor at the time. So, of course, I hit 12. You hear the ping. The door closes. And the elevator doesn't take off right away. It kind of jerks a little bit. And as we go up, it, it, normally it's like 30 seconds tops. We're on like two minutes already and we're halfway up and the elevator stops and kind of rattles. And I'm like, okay, old elevator, I get it. 
So I hit the comm to contact the office management building to say the elevator got stuck. And as I'm talking, static rolls over the intercom. And the elevator starts to shake. And I'm thinking, this is it, final destination. I did not think I was going to die in an elevator. But I felt this kind of warm feeling and a golden light started to manifest. Just like the shimmering light. So now I'm thinking, I'm dying. Am I having a heart attack? Am I having a stroke? Or am I, do I have heat stroke or something? Because, you know, it's like 90 and I've been out in the sun all day. But as it was shimmering, I could see a man with a flat top haircut. And it's about a silhouette, but I remember the flat top haircut. And I felt really calm, but I didn't know what was going on. And I'm like, and I'm just like, whoever you are, I, I don't need saving. I don't need to go anywhere. I, and I'm like, just go away. I'm fine. Go away. And it just sort of blinked off. And then the office management is going, sir, 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 do you need an ambulance? Do we need to call someone? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Can you just get me out? A half hour later, Jake is rescued from the elevator emerging dazed and confused by what he has just experienced. That was pretty much the paranormal encounter that got me started. But that date, which was July 15th, 2007, that was my grandfather's death anniversary. He died of a heart attack on that day 30 years prior. And of course, Grandpa Jones had a distinctive flat top haircut. So not necessarily a scary one, but that was, that was the experience that got me going into the ghost hunting and paranormal research. What's interesting about the boo moment with Grandpa Jones is that it feeds into another experience that Jake had in 2010. I was with my, um, well, he's now my husband, uh, so boyfriend at the time, David. And we had gone to, in downtown Chicago, still living in Chicago, I went to AMC River East Theater 2 to see James Carter, which was a, or John Carter, something like that, that big sci-fi bomb from Disney. It's January 8th. I remember it like yesterday. And so it's one of those cavernous movie theaters, you know, with the huge digital like IMAX type screen and you got the big balcony up top. So there's like, I don't know, 300 red seats just littering this big old cavernous, no other way to say it, theater. And there's like three people in it. (laughs) We went to the matinee. (laughs) Jake and David situate themselves in the middle of the balcony best seats in the empty house. There's about 15 minutes before the movie starts, so David heads to the lobby to get some sodas, popcorn, and movie treats, leaving Jake alone in the vacant theater. And as I'm sitting there, um, I hear this creak behind me, and I felt a hand rest on my shoulder. 
When, when I looked down, I could see it's obviously a woman's hand with very liquidy red nail polish. You probably know what kind I'm talking about. And a big old diamond ring and a pearl bracelet. And I'm like, who the hell? Because we're the, like, I would see, I would see someone come in. And I smelt rose perfume, a rose scented perfume. And I just, it was like a whisper woman's voice and said, when your mother calls, pick up, she'll need you. And then it felt like someone stroked the back of my head and they faded away. But David came up and said, who is that behind you? So he saw someone behind me and we looked around and I'm like, odd. And then my phone rang and it was my mother. And I pick up and she was, uh, she, you know, she called me by my childhood nickname, Stony, And she was like, I need you to come home. Grandma died. And I need you to take care of the arrangements because you're the only one that can do it. And uh, when we went to the funeral and I approached, you know, grandma in the casket, hands crossed, liquidy red nails, pearl bracelet, big old diamond ring. It is so special that both Grandma and Grandpa Jones have come to Jake. And even more incredible that David got to see Grandma Jones as well. So, you know, the mess, I, have, I guess I have a thing for messenger ghosts or like, the crisis apparition thing, which, you know, they only appear to check in and either a last message or just check in and make sure things are cool. And then off they go. But like I said, boom moments. A lot of people have these things. It's one time. It's very distinct. You remember it for life. And then never again do you have something quite like it. But not all boom moments are nice. Some are ominous, unsettling, and downright terrifying. So let's start in 2014. Um, at the time, I had moved to Los Angeles. Because uh, my other, I, I transferred for work. My other half got a job. He's an architect in LA. Uh, so we moved to Los Angeles. I was living in the neighborhood called Los Feliz. The house is from the 90s. No history of hauntings or tragedies. Just a regular two-story California home. But all the same, Jake had experienced strange happenings within the home. At the time, I had Rhea. And I had, uh, who's my boxer, and Wally, who was just about 10% of every single dog on earth. Uh, <laughs> big old mutt. And so uh, it's early morning in the summer, and I'm sleeping. And I've got, Rhea is sleeping with me, uh, you know, curled up by my feet. And I, even though I'm sleeping, I'm feeling, I'm feeling weird. I feel a pressure on my chest. I get kind of like this weird electrical feeling. It's like a headache, but it was buzzing. And so I'm trying to wake up and I open my eyes. Everything's blurry. And Rhea is standing up over me, licking me, but I can't 
I can't really feel her licking my face. So I'm thinking, oh, great. Am I having a stroke? Am I? You know, because you're still self-aware about these things. And as I look at the door, I see a shadowy figure wearing a top hat. He's about seven. He was taller than the door frame. And it's starting to move in closer and I'm feeling worse. And now I'm having a hard time breathing. And Rhea, my boxer, she just turns, looks at it, growls, and I see her going off, barking, jumping up and down. She didn't leave the bed. Um, And she was standing over me, over my chest at the time now. And she jumped off the bed at it and it vanished. And I woke up and I was fine. This sounds like sleep paralysis. But if it was, then how did Rhea see it also? But in the house, I had a couple of things where one time (laughs) I was taking a bubble bath (laughs) and Wally was in the bathroom with me. I was reading a book called, I remember to this day, Ghost World by Melba something. And I was reading it and she was giving some tips to communicate with spirits. I'm like, okay, what the hell? I, I got nothing to worry about here. And so, you know, slink down in the the bubble bath, right? All comfortable. The book, it's a paperback. It's folded. uh, And I put it down on the toilet because the toilet's kind of like just right there. And then Wally is sleeping on the the mat uh, right next to me. And so I say, hey, spirits, if you've got anything to do, come at me. (laughs) Uh, You want to communicate? I'm here for a message. You know, we'll just try it. But, you know, I really put a lot of focus and intent into it. I was saying this. And then the light flickered. You heard a buzz. Wally got up, looked around, did a whimper, went out the room. And then the book sprung up, stood up on its spine, and flew about a foot off the toilet and landed. And so, of course, me, I'm getting up out of the the bubble bath buck naked. And right outside is like my, my office, and I have a mel meter on it. So I turn, <laughs> so I grab it, hit it. And it dies on me without even, a, you know, a electrical or anything like that. Frantically, Jake pulls a robe around himself and video calls his friend and fellow investigator, Celine, to tell her what he has just experienced. I get her. I'm like, dude, this just happened to me. And then I hear the door slam behind me. And Celine said, A hand reached through the door and shut it. The boo moments only escalate from here. On January 2nd, 2022, Jake is now living in a rural part of Washington State. The area had just come through a massive snowstorm and the weather was finally relenting. And it's a Sunday. It's a Sunday. Remember it very well and it's about 4.30. So you're at that dusk period, Um, you know, living, well, you know, living where you do in London, it gets dark pretty early this time of the year. (laughs) And I, on our gate, I have a buzzer. Um, We normally have the gates closed and something buzzed it. So I looked out at the security cam footage. You have a camera there and I didn't see anything. Um, So I go out, let the dogs out. They need it out anyway. And I'm going over to the fence and it's a wood fence. So in between each one of the slats, there's probably a quarter inch gap between them. 
And I walk out to the fence and I could see there's a kid. But I didn't see him on the camera. And he's, I'm guessing, 10 years old. I'm not good with kids. I mean, I'm 5'6", so I'm not very tall. And he was, you know, half good half foot shorter than me. <laughs> and he's wearing blue jeans and a gray hoodie. Where I live, like, there's three houses on this strip of road. And across, it's just a field. So I'm like, kid, why are you? I'm like, hi, can I help you? And my dogs are over, you know, by the house running around and playing at the time. They're not over by the fence. And he's like... Uh, I need to use your phone. Can I come in and use your phone? And I'm, I'm like, how do you not have a cell phone, kid? <laughs> and I'm like, well, here, I mean, I've got my cell phone. Just give me your parents' number and I'll call them to come get you. Or do you want me to call, call the police? And I could see him and he's just standing there. But I can't really see his face because of the, the hood. And I'm like, look, I'll just call your parents. And he's like, no, let me in. I need to use your phone. And I'm like, cell phone, hello. So I'm about to call, I'm just about to call 911 and have the cops come out and get the kid. For one thing, it's January. I mean, even though the Pacific Northwest doesn't get super cold, it's like 30 degrees and this kid's in a hoodie. And so I'm about to call and Mikey comes up and Mikey is my big 100 pound pit bull. And he just starts barking and I turn to look at him, Mikey and go shh shush him and I go back and the kid's not there anymore so I open the gate door because really it's just there's three houses on my block this strip of road across the, the street from me is just an open field and you know I've got a neighbor on either side of me we're not exactly close so I open the gate and I step out and I see nothing Jake immediately calls our friend Mike Merle from the Paranormal Road Trippers to tell him about the child. Something had to be up because my security cameras didn't pick him up and he wanted to use my phone and my dogs were not having it. Because normally my dogs are fine with people and, and kids. And Merle was like, that was a black-eyed kid. And they were like, did you look him in the eye? And I went, well, no, there were the slats and he had this hood on, so I couldn't get a good look at his face. And like, well, did you let him in? I'm like, oh, hell no. For one thing, I don't like kids and this could be a stranger. Who knows if he's baiting me to steal from me, you know? It's a good thing Jake didn't look the black-eyed child in the eye. Legend says that if you lock eyes with a black-eyed kid, you can have your energy zapped for days, even months. Be plagued with dreadful nightmares and night terrors and even become fearful to leave your own home. Their immediate effects don't seem to last forever, but they have the potential to leave you with a low-grade fear that you can never shake. And again, the dog. Dog saved the day. <laughs> Jake's right. Lots of people do have boo moments. And those of us who are receptive, open, or even seek them out may have a propensity to experience more of them. If you'd like to hear more boo moments from Jake, check out his podcast, Ghostly Activities, or head over to his website, ghostandmonsters.com. And if you have any boo moments that you'd like to share with me, please reach out. 
send me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at The West London Witch. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at The West London Witch. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And come and follow us for additional content on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Miss Sinead Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you, all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us.